So at Lover's Lane, we just finished a sermon series that we called Unmentionables. And one of the coolest parts of my job is I get to attend every service here at Lover's Lane on Sundays, which is great because I get to hear every sermon. And I tell you, Stan, Scott, Reagan, and Kay did a great job talking about unmentionables. These are things that the church in its history has done a really poor job of talking about. We hit on topics like grief, doubt, shame, and fear. And next week, in here, we're going to be having our semi-annual gospel brunch, which means we get to eat and listen to super fun music at the same time. It's the dream. So your preaching staff gave me total and complete freedom to decide what to preach on today. So what did I do? I did what every foolish young preacher does in the year of 2018, and I looked at the news. Now, there were some pretty funny headlines that appeared in our um, headlines this week. And the first I'm calling the ramen robber. Um, there was a man who uh, robbed a ramen delivery truck. $98,000 worth of ramen was stolen. Now, I live off ramen. It's pretty cheap. I don't want to know what $98,000 worth of ramen looks like. And they still haven't found the guy. But I'm not preaching on that. There was a um, shocking revelation released from the country of Germany this week. Um, they announced that they're not ready if aliens land in their country. Thank you for that, Germany. But I'm not preaching on that. There was even an 18-year-old kid who broke a world record this week in Georgia. He solved five Rubik's Cubes underwater in one breath. Right. <laughs> but I'm not preaching on that. There were some headlines that weren't as funny. This week, we saw a lot of natural disasters. In Italy, a bridge collapsed. In Florida, a state of emergency was declared as the red tide, which is algae on the bottom of the sea, continues to kill fish and turtles and has even made some people sick. And we've seen also that California wildfires continue to spread. But not only that, now the smoke from these wildfires is polluting clean air in other areas of the western United States. We saw some headlines this week that were some not-so-natural disasters. Human failing was on pretty good display this week in the news. The entire West Virginia Supreme Court was impeached due to misuse of funds. There was a man who intentionally drove his building into the or drove his car into the Parliament building in London. And one that hits home for preachers like me, the Roman Catholic Church was back in the news this week. As a report was released, and 300 more priests were found guilty of multiple kinds of clergy abuse. So while scrolling through the headlines for inspiration for this morning, the lack of love in the world really got to me. I don't have to spell this out for you. Even in this room right now, there's a heaviness. Some of you are dealing with the unmentionables that we've been talking about. Like grief and doubt and fear. You're dealing with loneliness 
you're dealing with anxiety about the future, and you're dealing with lack of connection. The lack of love in the world might be getting to all of us. Scripture has a lot to tell us about love. First John says that God is love. And I think if you take a look at this book as a whole, you see that God is love. God loves us. And God wants us to love the world. So this morning, we're going to read from the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, the book of 1 Corinthians is in your New Testament. And it's widely known as like Paul's love letter. um, Because there's a section in it that if you've ever been to a wedding... You've probably heard. It's 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, and so on and so forth. However, that's not what we're reading today. We're going to look at the section just before the famous part. We're going to take a look at how Paul sets up this really famous passage that you've heard probably over and over and over again. So today, we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 28, through chapter 13, verse 3. And if you don't mind, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. Paul writes, In the church, God has appointed first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, the ability to help others, leadership skills, different kinds of tongues. All aren't apostles, are they? All aren't prophets, are they? All aren't teachers, are they? All don't perform miracles, do they? All don't interpret, do they? Use your ambition to try to get the greater gifts, and I am going to show you an even better way. If I speak in tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and everything else, and if I have such a complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away Everything that I have and I hand over my own body to feel good about what I've done, but I don't have love, I receive no benefit whatsoever. This is God's word for all of us gathered here. Say thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay, so if you've got a Bible in front of you, there's a header over chapter 12, which is the very end of this section, and that header is spiritual gifts. So this section follows, Paul spends a lot of time talking about spiritual gifts. This is where we see the section where he compares the church to the physical body of Christ, right? The hand can't do the foot's job because that would be silly. We can't all be shoulders, Paul says. He basically says that you've got your gifts and you need to use them. But in this section, he uses three really interesting metaphors to unpack, basically, if you have these gifts but you don't have love, what's the point? I kind of wish that um, verse 31 
was actually verse 1 of chapter 13. Um, Just a reminder, this is what it says. Use your ambition to try and get the greater gifts, and I am going to show you an even better way. And then Paul goes into this section about the importance of love. He calls it a better way of using our gifts. So we're going to look at each metaphor individually this morning. So back to verse 1, which says, If I speak in tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love, I am a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. Paul says that while speaking in tongues is a miracle and helpful to the community, If it's used without love, it's literally an obnoxious instrument no one wants to hear a solo from. Now, I've studied the Bible. I cannot confirm that Paul ever attended a middle school band concert. However, if he had, I believe it would read something like this. If I speak in tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm like the second chair oboe player at Nimitz Junior High School in December of 2007. Which was me, so I can claim that. (laughs) If we lack love, we're an obnoxious instrument no one wants to hear an extended solo from. Verse 2 says, If I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all the mysteries and everything else, and if I have such a complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. Paul says, you can know all the things, have all the faith, all the wisdom, but without love, he says that he is nothing. A lack of love makes us nothing. Verse 3, if I give away everything that I have and hand over my own body to feel good about what I've done, but I don't have love, I receive no benefit whatsoever. These are two of the biggest sacrifices of the early Christian church at this time. To give away all your possessions and self-immolation. The Corinthian community at this time would have understood the gravity of these two sacrifices. And what it meant to do for your faith, either one of these things. So for Paul to say that even these two great acts without love, you gain nothing. If we have a lack of love, we gain nothing. All the spiritual gifts mentioned in chapter 12 that Paul spends forever talking about can be reduced to nothing if used incorrectly. The lack of love will tarnish the gifts given to us by God. It's pretty easy to say that the lack of love can really get to us. So this summer, I got to take a break from school, and I decided to read a book that had nothing to do with seminary, and now I'm using it in a sermon. This is a book titled, If You Find This Letter, letter by Hannah Brinchner. And it's a story of, after she graduated college and was ready to take on the world, she does a one-year volunteer service program in the Bronx, where she spends her time split between the United Nations and a Catholic community center working at the daycare. 
She's living in community with other people who are doing this year service program. And Hannah writes well. This book, I poured over the month of June because I felt like I was sitting on her couch and I was her best friend since kindergarten. Hannah's in New York and she's doing all of these wonderful things and she finds herself still struggling with loneliness and depression and doubt and even a lack of connection. The lack of love in her world was really getting to her. But Hannah makes a really interesting choice. She decides to write a love letter to a stranger. She sits in a seat on a New York subway and tucks the envelope behind her back and then gets off at her exit and walks away. She wrote on the envelope, if you find this letter, it's for you. The story unpacks how Hannah goes from this one love love letter to now her company, which is called The World Needs More Love Letters, which writes over thousands of letters every month to people who need them. But I think there's something really interesting about the way that Hannah shows love here. By writing a love letter to a stranger, she got nothing out of it. Writing a love letter to a stranger didn't start with the question, what's in it for me? There was nothing in it for her. She would never know who got that letter. Never see them again. Never get a thank you. I think that her decision to write the first letter was a decision born out of pure love. And by love, I don't mean a stage in a romantic relationship. I don't mean an obligation to a family member. I mean love like I read this week in a commentary, which says, Love is a response, a way of living that is made possible by God's grace through the working of the Holy Spirit. Not simply a gift, but a way of being and relating. A way of being and a way of relating. Love is not one of the spiritual gifts that Paul spends a lot of time talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Love is a way of being and relating so that all of these spiritual gifts can be used to their full potential. Take, for example, knowledge. Knowledge used with love is not arrogant or self-seeking, but knowledge used with love leads us to better our community. Compassion used with love is not compassion that is rude or does not keep a record of wrongs, but it's compassion that helps us encourage one another, like personal cheerleaders. Leadership used with love is leadership that is not easily angered, And it does not boast. But rather, leadership used with love helps us protect those that we are entrusted to lead. And teaching used with love is teaching that is patient. Doesn't simply care for the concept that the student is supposed to walk away learning, but rather cares for the student themselves. I have a theory this morning. The lack of love in the world does not have to get to us. So a few weeks ago, I took some inspiration from Hannah and I started writing my own love letters. 
I started with some of our staff members here at Lover's Lane. I sat and I wrote some cards and I put them in their boxes. And then I started writing love letters to friends. And then I put something out on social media. I said, if you need a letter, send me an address and I'll send you one. And I realized some things. The first was that everyone needed one. I heard from people that I have not talked to in years that literally our relationship is reduced to Facebook friends. And they wanted a love letter. I also learned that love letters are kind of different from an encouraging email, a nice text message, and yeah, even an Instagram shout out. They're more personal. They take intentional time. I spent time rummaging through my stationery and picking out the right card for each person. I spent time looking for the pen that wouldn't smear due to my left-handedness. I spent time writing that somehow my combination of print, cursive, and block lettering would be legible for the people. In my love letters, my grammar is not perfect. It's probably the least filtered thing that I do. My seminary professors would cringe. My love letters are full of typos. My love letters are full of misspellings. And my love letters are full of my problem in using too many commas. But it doesn't matter. There is no right way to write a love letter. There's simply a proclamation of love and an encouragement for another person. A love letter says something very important to someone. It says you matter here. I've been writing letters for a couple of years, and I've always had three very definitive statements that I finish them with. And if you've ever gotten a letter from me, you've seen it. You are called. You are loved. You are able. But after reading Hannah's book, I've added one more. And it's you matter. Love is so many things. And an attempt to make love my way of being and my way of relating to other people, it's important for me to show love by reminding people you matter. The song, You Will Be Found, shows us love. It has lyrics like, let that lonely feeling wash away. Lift your head and look around because for Pete's sakes, you matter. Scripture tells us that. This book is God's love letter to you. And in it, you're going to find you matter. But in it, you're also going to find you have a job. And your job is to tell others you matter.